I'm going to conquer that country. And I'm going to slaughter those people. I'm going to have a genocide there. Like they they worked hard at it too. They spent. They did. <laughs> yeah. I'll give. That's if I'm going to give them credit to that. They put a lot of effort into it. Do you know? Do you know how much effort it takes to get on a boat? <laughs> to sail on it for like two months to get off the boat then die from malaria and then oh you've got to send another boat because they've all died that's a lot they re- they really wanted Africa you know do you know how many white people died trying to get that continent I mean it's incredible so the least you could do is read the book it gets better cause it has to get better we're all made of You are listening to the Made of Human podcast. I'm Sophie Hagen. I am your host and I'm a comedian. So first, I uh, just want to plug some of the things I'm doing at the moment because I have started uh, writing a new show. It's called Dead Baby Frog and I am taking it everywhere so that I can meet every single one of you. I am. Uh, I say everywhere. That's very Europe-centric because I'm doing it in... June and July, I'm doing it in London. I'm doing previews all over London uh, to prepare for the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which I will be doing in August. Then I will be touring the show all over the UK. I will be in, and here I am, slaughtering your um, the names of your cities. I will be in Peterborough, is that right? Winchester, Liverpool, Fareham, Coventry, Swindon, Leeds, Glasgow, Aberdeen, Norwich, no, is that Norwich or is it Norwich? Uh, you're a weird, weird country. I will be in Kendall, Mills and Keynes, Bath, Aldershot, Maidenhead, Newcastle, Newport, Leicester, Manchester, Oxford, Bristol, Hull, Bromsgrove. Bromsgrove, is that a thing? Really? Stockton, Cambridge, Colchester? Or is that Colchester? No, I'm guessing Colchester. New Milton, is that close to Mills and Keynes? Is that the same thing? Did I say Milton Keys? Milton Keynes? Wow. Anyways, New Milton, Reading, Northampton, and Canterbury. Canterbury. Or oh, whatever. And then I will also be in Denmark. And those tickets are released on June 1st. Uh, and all of the tickets for all of this uh, will be on sophiehagen.com. That is where you need to go. That's where you want to go. Sophiehagen.com. S-O-F-I-E-H-A-G-E-N.com. And once you're there, sign up for the newsletter. And also buy my last show. It's called Shimmer Shatter. And uh, it's about being a weirdo and an introvert. And I... Uh, I really like it. And it's only five pounds, which is, I think the equivalent is like, like 50 krona in Danish money and seven euros. I don't know. I don't do maths. So I'm about to introduce uh, this week's guest to you. But first, I'm going to introduce a brand new segment. Okay. I'm so ex- This is what happened. One of my listeners... One of my lovely listeners posted something that had happened to her and it just it blew my mind. So the new segment is called Acts of Disobedience. Acts of Disobedience. Because so here's this week's story, this week's act of disobedience. Uh, it's anonymous and uh, I will read it the way it was posted. Today I did something that could have ended badly, but it delighted me endlessly. A man shouted from his open convertible car, Wanna fuck, fatty? And when I kept walking, he got angry and spewed spewed more horrific words at me. Then ended with, I'ma kill you, fat bitch. Obviously trying to get a response. 
He was held up by a red light, and as I was walking with a six-pack of cola, I threw the one I had in my hand into his back seat, and it spilled all over. The old lady beside me laughed. It was brilliant. He was so shocked, he didn't know what to do for a second or two. And then he got really angry, his friend too, so I threw in another open Coke. The lights turned green, and he was forced to drive away with his Mercedes drenched in Coca-Cola. Never have I felt this good about doing something bad. Anyway, that was my delightful story of today, left with four cans of Coke and a smile on my face. Wow. Now, I have a few more, but I want to hear your acts of disobedience, because something like this, I think, is so powerful, and I just love it. So that's going to be a thing now. Um, go to madeofhumanpodcast.com. There is a... Um, uh, uh, you can press acts of disobedience and you can submit your own story. You can, of course, be anonymous if you want. You can also have your name read out. Uh, I suggest you don't if it's illegal, the thing you've done. But you can go and there's like a little form. And uh, and I will say, you know, always put your, your own safety first, uh, of course. But, I mean, have you done something like this and you want it read out? Please do, because we're in a time right now where, I mean, sometimes it's it's all we have. You know, it's all it's all we can do. What else can we do? So I just think that's that's really important. Now, I uh, please go do that. Go to madeofhumanpodcast.com and uh, and and submit submit your story because I would love to read it on this podcast. It excites me so much. Now you get to enjoy Athena Kuglenu. She is fucking amazing. I was I, I mean, I I don't say this often. I don't think I've... I possibly never said it before about any episode so far, but this episode will make you a better person. It will. This this episode will make you a better person. I don't think I've said that before, but I, I really mean it. So please, please, please enjoy the incredible Athena Kukbleno. I feel like I just want you to start talking and then I'll just like <laughs> listen a lot and be really Okay, like, give me a tr- trigger me. Give me a trigger word. Trigger okay. me. Yeah. We we were in uh, South Africa together. Yes, we were. Yeah. How did you find that experience? I thought up to this point probably the most educational and rewarding experience of my comedy career so far for mm. many for many reasons. Um, it's very, it's very. Int- I, w- my biggest worry was that I, my po- my comedy is fairly. It's a, a lot of it's about racial politics and how it affects everyone. I, I start from my comedy from the idea that we all have a race. That's the idea that we all forget. We all think that white people don't have a race, and then racism, racism is about what white people do to other people. Or in actual fact, like there's actually a, an equality in thinking that we all have a race, right? So that's where I come from my, with my comedy. Um, and a lot of my comedy, therefore, is informed by my background, which is Indian, African, and from the Caribbean, and also from, as, a, as a Londoner. So I thought, I'm going to, like, probably the kind of, you know, the, the top trumps of, of ra- it, racism. If you, if you want to explain racism to an alien, if an alien was like, what's racism? You'd be like, well, let's start with South Africa. Just cause every, It has everything. It's got the colonialism, the... Um, the land, the, the land um, theft, um, and it's still, you know, the land stolen still remains in, in the same hands that took it. Uh, it's got the, the segregation, obviously, um, the, the, leg- the legislative racism. So, you know, racism in this country was never legislative. There was no miscegenation laws. It was just, we don't like brown people. But there it was like, no, this is law. It's got everything. Um, so is, am I going to look ridiculous? Are people going to look at me and be like, you've had it easy love uh but in an, it so it was lovely that it was relatable i think um 
so I learned to not to be confident with what you know where I come from comes from a, a fairly I don't want to be arrogant it comes from a fairly intellectual and academic place I don't just make it all up um I'll make up I'll make up some of it <laughs> um so it gave me that confidence to be like I could probably take this to other places and and also speaking to South Africans informed me and told me it informed me where the gaps in my knowledge still are because we all have all you know there's learning is infinite doesn't stop so it gave me like a nudge in maybe a different direction I always always see myself as an Afrocentric pan-Africanist person so what does that mean so uh, pan-Africanism for me is that I believe that anybody who has an African heritage wherever in their world should just be able to say that African and be confident with it so I'll go, I know someone uh, he's probably gonna listen to this uh, he's Jamaican and when I describe him as African he just looks funny he's black Jamaican and it's like but this is like look at look in the mirror do you know what I mean if you walk down the street and no one knew where you came from and you never said the word you it's up for grabs isn't it you could be African you could come from African country that's how it works that's kind of you know you might have and obviously coming from the Caribbean you might have think you know you might have um, ancestors who aren't African because that's how slavery worked there's lots of mixing um, but you're fundamentally African and I think that once you um, and all the successful movements that has happened over the years that have brought black people together have been connected to that African identity so like Marcus Garvey you know said we're all Africans let's all start a massive big business and it worked for ages Um, so what was I saying I can't remember so um just describing what pan-African was. Yeah, so pan-African is, is the, the idea that fundamentally... That doesn't mean all Africans are the same, by the way. It doesn't, a Brazilian African isn't the same as um, an African in the Dominican Republic who is the same as an African who lives in New York. But it means that we all understand that if you think of it like a massive tree, we all have that original root. And I think that's probably the next stage in black thought, that we start to become more used to Africa being a place where we come from where we're proud of that rather than a place where we come from and we don't know how to connect with it. Especially now, like, America's, like, going downhill and Britain's going downhill. We're going to have to find pride from somewhere, right? So now's as good a time as any. Um, so as a Pan-Africanist person or who, someone who subscribes to that thought, it made me think probably, yeah, I could take my stories to someplace else. And even though they're not the same as the stories to the people who look like me and who've grown in a different context, they're still relatable because we look like each other. You know, which and, I think is quite and nice. And that proved to be true when you did shows. And, I mean, you did. I saw you do the shows and you, you did um, well. For one of them. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, yeah. That, that, that one yeah, doesn't I count. Mean, that's a <laughs> I think, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think so. And just the reception and just the conversations, you know, and just meeting. And it was just nice. I know it sounds strange, but I don't really have the opportunity to have that many conversations about race with white South Africans. It's almost like I censor myself. Uh, do you know what I mean? Like if I meet someone and they're South African and they're white, and you meet lots of white South Africans in this, con- South Africans in this country, it's quite normal because they have the right to travel um, and the financial means to do so. Um, not that black South Africans don't, but less likely to. Um, but you don't, you know, it's literally like, don't mention the war. That's because I don't want to go there. I don't know what I can say. We know it, right? So to be in South Africa and around white South Africans and to hear about their experiences and what it's like for them, you know, to grow, to growing up through change is probably must be so hard especially when it's when you're privileged imagine mm. that imagine being told you, you don't ask for this information but someone told you your whole life you know you have a divine right to be here you're better than these people you're genetically better you are, you know you are god's creation you're all this and then someone you know one day says oh actually you know your, your parents are racists that made you a racist and you're gonna have to you know you're gonna have to reprogram your whole self and it's like well you know not my fault but you know and then how do you how do you deal with that so I wouldn't go so far to say I sympathise with that because I, I struggle with that but I understand that the energy it takes for me to unlearn 
a feeling of um uh what's the word for like when you feel like you're not good enough mm. um i'm going to think of this word in about half an hour's time you can cut it back in be I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna um, pull the uh, the opposite language of, card here the, the opposite of superiority inferiority Inferi- yeah, yeah, inferiority so what i had to un- do to unlearn inferiority you have to do the same thing to unlearn superiority it's, you know science that's that's psychological science yeah so to talk to people who had to come from the most you know it's such a you know it's a textbook example of people being taught they're superior and people being taught they're inferior inferior talks both sides it's fascinating what's fascinating yeah and it makes sense i guess because if you if you unlearn inferiority you know you you become that's a positive move isn't it because you go to is it not like you would go towards feeling like you're worth more you're feeling better i think where if you're if you're unlearning superiority you would kind of have to pull yourself down a bit yeah so there's a there's a quote it's something it, I think it's a Malcolm X quote but it's along the lines of um, when you lose um, privilege it can feel like um, you're being subjugated mm. you know but you're losing something that was never yours to have in the first place but it can feel like subjugation because uh, you're just so used to it and then you can start to feel like the oppressed you know and that's gem- that's generally what's happening in America and around the world you know people are saying well I want that job because they've always been guaranteed that job mm. right but no one promised you the job the job goes to the person who goes to the interview and does the best interview mm. but the and so now people are starting to now the world's starting to even out a bit people are getting a bit annoyed and they're voting for racists and and whatever so um so I think yeah understanding that it's not just good enough to say this is right this is wrong what you have to do is understand the journey people have to go on to get to that place where we're all going to be a bit happier and that's almost understanding history that's all it really is and some people are always going to be stubborn like it takes like, energy to do this by the way it's energy to understand history and to understand people and to read the books and to have the conversations um so but i still don't simp- but i use the energy I, I take the energy so it wouldn't help for other people to do it. and the information is all there um um but yeah south africa was great and yeah it went so quickly and i just yeah but people all around the world book me for stuff like this it'd be amazing I'd it was, to do it more was of it. so I, Isn't I, had, amazing? I, had, I had the same well not the same exact but but it was the best place i've ever gigged it yeah. was the most interesting place i've ever been i really wanted to stay for longer i saw i think i told you that were you there when i, I saw a black canadian male comic uh yeah, confront yeah. a white South African com- female comic about something she had said. Right, okay. That he yeah. found racist. And then it was just, I was just watching this conversation happen where she was kind of explaining it from her point of view while still being apologetic, but also not really, you know, like trying to explain how in South Africa, within a certain context, that probably wasn't racist, but where he was explaining that from his point of view, from where he was, it was just this amazing mix of like people and, and, and like topics that you, well, that I've not seen happen anywhere in the UK but definitely not in Denmark. Yeah, I love people who are comfortable talking about race because it's, it's really, it shouldn't be taboo. Not in 2017. We all know that um, everyone says, oh, it's an invention, so we should just stop talking about it. And it's like, well, you know, like money's an invention. So you know what? <laughs> I'm just going to take, I'm going to take, I'm going to live in that house for free. I'm going to stop paying my council tax. You know, we invented it, right? It's, you know, we invented it and we also used it for centuries to, to divide people and to take advantage of people and to gain materially from that. Um, so, yeah in order to fix that we're gonna have to keep those definitions going a bit longer until it's fixed uh but that if i could so that was really interesting so that was a joke about hair 
Yeah. Because I remember it. So um, I won't, I've probably silly these names. So the, the white South African comic made a joke about hair, which was hilarious. It was something to do with, the, the punchline of the joke was to do with a black woman wearing hair that isn't their own. Like at least, and I think it was like, at least my hair is real or something. Mm. No, I thought that was hilarious. But then, and I think, the general consensus of that bit was hilarious. Then she just went on and on and on. And even I was a bit like, raw man. Like, this is, you couldn't do that in Peck, you couldn't do that in London, right? In, in the UK, that would pretty much, and I said to her, like, I thought it was hilarious, but that definitely would be difficult, a difficult joke to say, to say in the UK where we're kind of, we'll take a little bit, we'll take the hit a little bit, but don't keep, you don't have to go for the, the, the technical knockout, just, <laughs> just score the point and then, and then leave. Um, and uh, the comedian's girlfriend, uh, she had a weave and she just... And I think she'd been, get, she'd been getting a hard time in South Africa every, anyway because I think, just generally speaking, because of the history, I think it's a lot... If you wear a weave and you're in Montreal, you're just wearing a weave in Montreal, right? But if you wear a weave and you're in Johannesburg, what does that say to you about the legacy of the history that you come from? You come from a place where... I mean, like, the racism in South Africa, it, I mean, it doesn't need to be said. It's just... just the, the lengths they went to to make Africans feel like they were subhuman um, were um, admirable, actually. It, unnecessary, you know, you could have done, they could have done everything they did in South Africa without all that stuff. Uh, well, actually, no, because they, they, because they were, they, white people were so much in the minority. Anyway, so, you know, if you continue to wear a weave in that situation, are you, have you, you know, have you gone through that struggle to then go and buy a white woman's hair and then sew it on your head. So it means something different. And that's what the conversation that you saw play out there. And I think that's really important because it shows the diversity of the African experience. Like, you know, it's, that's why, which goes back to my nervousness of going there because my African experience is, is different. It's the same, but it's also different. Um, so so that would be an example of, of that extreme, really. Um, but yeah, I remember that debate. And I, I, I spoke to them afterwards and I sort of said, I kind of see where you're at, but it's... This, this is, you know, this is South Africa. If you've got an opportunity to wear straight hair or your Afro hair after all that everyone's gone through, you're, gonna, you're probably going to say, let me just get my dreadlocks now. And I'll tell you something, I was in the airport, right, coming back from Johannesburg, thinking this is, this is where we got separated, I think, because we got lost or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I went to uh, the, check, you know, the check-in desk, showed my passport, and the guy was like, oh, good morning, queen. And I was like, this doesn't happen anywhere else. Do you know what I mean? It was yeah. that, like, good morning, Queen. And I knew he probably only said that to black women. He might, be, he, he might have said that to you, actually. I don't know. No, it didn't. But, don't worry. And it's, and it's that strange thing of that kind of, like, you don't want to feel good because someone said something like that to you because you just want to feel good, be- like, normally. But actually, that kind of... It's like when you walk down the street and you see another black person, you nod. You get a lot of comfort from that, you know? Um, and yeah, and that again, he you know he comes from a place where it's like yeah, like you know look, look where look where you at, you know look where, look where we've come, um, so, and that I think yeah, me having dreadlocks is a big part of that, um, you know in another country, another black dude wouldn't, wouldn't mean anything, wouldn't be meaningful, but having natural hair in a place that's Africa is meaningful, um, so I'll take that, yeah, I'll take those points. <laughs> I think the the first. My first, my first shock in South Africa was when I saw all the street names were Dutch, and that, that I just saw the Dutch. Like, well, I guess that's Afrikaan. Afrikaans, yeah, which is yeah, like yeah. Old, old fashioned Dutch. But yeah. there was something, and it, that's like me coming from a quite a, like semi, you know, ignorant place. But that really shocked me because it was in my head. It it, it felt so out of place in some way. Oh yeah, well, there's, there's an Oxford Street in, in Ghana in Accra, Oxford Street. Yeah, so you go to um, go to Australia. A lot of the streets are 
Um, I, to be fair, I didn't realise this. I, I, my brother lives in Melbourne and I Google mapped his, his address and it was like I Google mapped a London address. They were all English street names. It was, yeah. you know. Um, so, yeah, that's, I mean, that I mean, it doesn't need to be said. Like, it's the, it was colonised and yeah. populated by Europeans. and they. But I understand that there was a, a renaming um, exercise after... Um, democracy um in 94 so they all the all the people all the names of like the real racists was were were changed to like i don't know other other streets names um which is um important i think i think i, I think it's important god so many racists are memorialized like in statues and the, the naming of buildings and things like that and i have no problem with those literally take down the sign put down and up another sign we're not asking for much yeah. you know um um but yeah, it's yeah. When it's the little things you don't realise. Like I, I have a bit in my in my in my show at the moment where I talk about black people with Scottish surnames, and you can see people visibly go, "Wow!" It's like <laughs> Trevor McDonald is a black man. Like, how have you not noticed that? You know, like this is you know Daniel Sturridge is a black man and he has a, a Scottish surname. You know, Ainsley Harriet is a black like, and it's like their minds go. You can some people go, "Yeah, yeah, we knew this," and they want a cookie and they can have it, and some people are like. And the penny drops, and I think it's hidden in plain sight. That's, but that just shows you how pervasive racism mm. was and is. It's literally, and if you if, imagine you've absorbed it, right? Or not you personally, but these people have absorbed it, and without realizing, imagine what it's like for us. You know, yeah. like we've absorbed it, and without we imagine being an African person and having a Scottish surname, not even realizing it's Scottish until someone says to you, "Do you know you have inherited the name of your Scottish slave master?" It's like, wow, that's crazy, right? And then, and we think about that. So I just think it's really interesting, like that thing that, you, yeah. yeah, you knew that um, uh, white people had populated South Africa and you yeah. knew that they'd taken the land and, and controlled the country for centuries uh, and formally for about 70 years. And But then you see the street lines, you're like, oh my God, yeah. white people took over South Africa and they, and they did all this yeah. stuff. It's yeah, like, it's, it's crazy, it's right? It's in your, like that's, yeah. that was the thing. It was like, it's yeah. everywhere. It's, it's not something you, I, I think I just kind of assumed that there would be so much shame attached that you'd at least try and hide it away. How do you, how do you so rename every street, though? Did you see? I don't, I, yeah, so no, you're right. It's what I always say. I always say the one thing you have to remember, and this is the most important thing, the world was designed by racists, the modern world. Okay, mm. The banking systems were designed by racists. The way the way we travel from country to country was designed by racists. Okay? Um, so the naming conventions for streets was designed by racists. Now, you're not going to change. You could, you could be asked. You know, you've, you know, like you've, you've made all the maps. and you know, it's, So you, you make an effort where you can. But, and they did that. And th- th- it's not like they sit down and they go, right, we're going to name all the streets. And now forever, people are always going to have to at least say one Dutch word every day. <laughs> right? they, they make, but it's just mm. the, the pervasiveness and the effectiveness mm. of it is always going to be there. Um, so and yeah that I mean and maybe it should be there that is the history of the country you know um, white people do live in South Africa now and they are Africans and they should identify as Africans um, and I don't think it would help to kind of replace one kind of um, kind of that that you know what you it was comprehensively Dutch South Africa so I don't think it would help to make it comprehensively African mainly because there were like I think seven or eight main African nations in South Africa anyway so then which one gets priority so mm. that's not a solution but the solution is to understand why they there were Dutch names and how you move yeah. forward from that and how you live comfortably because there are generations now of white South Africans who are like you know they they're, couldn't be further away from from their not ancestors family members you know um, and so it doesn't, you know, it wouldn't be helpful to just kind of 
delete them from yeah. it. and that was their biggest fear right the biggest fear of white Africans was we can't have democracy here because they're because the Africans will drive us into the sea that exact sentence that was the the one thing that kept white South Africans uh, in favor of apartheid they're like well we, we like it here <laughs> literally but oh, that, that, wow. that, that the crazy thing about South African apartheid it was literally white South Africans go we like it here we don't want to go but we're here a little bit illegally right and we're outnumbered right in fact most most racism that comes from like in like modern European racism that comes from colonized countries comes from the fear of Europeans who have been outnumbered so Mm -hmm. this is this is a fact um I'm actually talking about this in my show, so I don't talk about it specifically, though. So I can talk about it here because it's not funny if I do it <laughs> specifically. So the Barbados Slave Code is something I'm fascinated with. That's basically kind of like the invention of European racism. It's based, um, Barbados is one of the first slave colonies that Britain had. And it, slavery turned out to work out quite well. They were like, oh, my God, we've got all these Africans. They keep coming in. But then they started outnumbering the Europeans in Barbados because, you know, it's just mass. You've got more Africans coming in than Europeans. And so they, they put... Um, they, in, they literally said Negroes, which is how Africans were referred to in those days, are slaves. They put that in legislation. Okay, so that's the, you can Google this. It's called the Barbados Slave Code. It's really important. When we talk about we need to learn African history and black history, we kind of say, oh, you have to learn about Martin Luther King and, you know, and um, Harriet Tubman and, um, oh, what's her name? The, the, the Caribbean Florence Nightingale. Uh, I forgot to tell memory. Anyway, and that's great. You do, but it annoys me that African history is always about individuals and things that they did. It should be about things that happened and the legacy of things that happened. That's mm. what history is. It's that's how you teach history to children. You know, when you're a child and you learn history, you learn about individuals. So you learn about um, um, Emily Pankhurst mm. and she did some stuff and it was really cool. Yeah, but you have to understand the culture that she came from and the culture that um, inherited her politics. Mm. That's history. Um, so the Barbados Slave Code is a really good example. If, you, if people learnt that in schools, they would be. It would, they would. A, it's from the 17th century. So 1600s. That was. So we're now 2017 mm. centuries. And B, it was. It was replicated around the world. It was. People were like, that's a really good idea. So that's that. That model of of owning Africans and and uh, and operating plantations in that way. Everyone thought it was a great idea, right? So. Um, I can't remember what I was talking about now. What was I saying? Something about slavery. Oh, God. We were, yeah. 20 minutes in, got me to slavery. Thank you, Sophie. <laughs> I, uh, I, had to, I had to hope to get, you know, we'd do, do it 45 minutes on the weather. But <laughs> I, I think we should uh, close on the weather. <laughs> um, I, I don't remember where that came from, but it's still really... Um, how, how does this affect you? Because you're clearly very engaged in all of this and I don't know if engaged is the right word but oh, it's interesting. it's interesting it's facts yeah. this is facts it's um so I like history if I hadn't um gotten a half decent job as a younger person I probably would have ste- tried to be an academic but um I was they say youth was wasted on the young and they were not wrong <laughs> um and I thought it'd be better to to do what I was doing at a time than didn't study but I kind of do a bit a bit now with a view to maybe in the future like when I retire I like the idea of retiring and like doing a PhD or something that'd be nice um, so I'm just interested in it because something that I believe right how crazy is it that the solution for everything is out there mm. we know all of this we know about othering we know about the psychology of racism we know about the unfairness of capitalism we know about um, imperialism we know about white supremacy like we literally we know about it it's it, it's all in academia um, it's all in the, in the minds of very intelligent people um, who have lots of letters after their names um, it's it's out there but we can't be asked 
We literally, and then when we do learn it, it te- we realise it will cost us so much to implement it. We just, we just, oh, we just forget about it. Yeah, and, and that's where we're at, at the moment. I think as a as a people, we, um, which is a real, which is, so I'm fascinated by the, the fact that the answers are there, um, uh, and also the answers. The answers that I don't know about that, but they're there. Mm. So I like the idea. That's why I kind of like to read a lot because I like the idea of um, um, of fight. You know, of constantly changing um, my mind. Like I'm really inspired by Malcolm X because um, he always changed his mind, and I'm always fascinated by this kind of this idea that he was just a violent guy who hated white people. It's just absolute nonsense. He was an, he was an intellectual and academic. He and that's all he did. All he did was read. He wrote. He read books and he spoke. Right, this is this has how that's isn't that an amazing life? Um, mm. So I'm um, and so I I would like to figure ten years time my opinions are different to the opinions I have now because I'd like to become a smart person in ten years time. So that's where that comes from. Um, like and, every, and everything I know I know because I've I've read it. I haven't made it up for like I didn't read it in a meme. Um, in fact, <laughs> I, if I've read it in a meme, I then think oh I'm probably can't be right, <laughs> can't can't be right. So it comes from that, and I think. Cause it, and it's even more important now because it informs so much of my comedy. So if someone's going to give me permission, I guess, to stand up in front of them and make jokes about race and politics, it would be nice for them to walk away and hear something different. Because, you know, you don't want to say the same old stuff um, about... Like, when I started, I was doing jokes about, like, Africans being drug dealers. I had a really shit joke, like, hey, guys... Um, <laughs> everyone thinks black people are drug dealers but that's bullshit my drug dealer is Polish mm. you know and, you know all that shit um, so I tr- you know I try and yeah. move it on from that and try and say okay well this is the world I occupy come and join me on it it's really cool um, and if you can't be bothered to read the books well I read them so you don't have to and if I can get out like a little bit of information that people think about after they've laughed at whatever dick joke I've made then that'd be that's nice so what's the so there's I mean I feel like the the global solution would be something to do with anti-capitalism and uh, and there's a lot of things one we as a society and the people could do to to fix everything but mm. as an individual p- person both as a like an individual uh, white person or a person of color what and from my point of view what can Because my initial reaction to when 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 race is being discussed is to I feel like sitting down and shutting up and listening and being very quiet and and you know because you kind of you you know to give space and you know to to but is there more is there more that one can do? Educate you have to educate yourself. Okay, yeah. so this is the there's only one thing. That annoy no, it's not one. There's loads of things annoying. Well, what I talk about, everything annoys me. But if there's one thing that annoys me, it's like if something makes me, if something, I feel passionate about something or something makes me angry, I'm happy to talk about it. But I can't educate everyone. No yeah. one can. So I would say that, like, if you're having a con- if you're involved in a conversation about race or culture or politics or the economy or whatever, obviously listen. Obviously, take on board information. Don't think you don't have it intelligence to offer to that but if you say something it might be corrected so it's to be open to that idea of being and I in the same way I'm open to being moved on my position you might want to be moved on your position I think you interact with too diverse a group of people to not have something to contribute to any conversation you know um That, does that make sense? I get. It's yeah, not I get like, what I'm not mean. saying they're like, yeah, like anyone's an expert, but I under, and I understand that the desire to listen, which I think is what we don't do enough of generally. Um, but the response to that is to get educated enough so you can contribute. Does that make sense? Yes. And what makes me annoyed is some people expect, particularly people people of color, to do the education, and I can't like I I, I literally I don't, 
A, I don't have the time. B, I don't have the energy. And C, like, it's it's not um, it's not progress unless it's something that you actually want to happen for yourself. Mm. Like I'm so a lot of people say to me, oh, I I really wish I could read, but oh, it's just hard work. It's like I know it's hard work. <laughs> you, you don't have to tell me that. You know, sometimes I look at books and I think, oh my god, it's going to take me a month to get through that. And but I, you know, I make the time and I get through it. Like it, it, it's hard work. It was very hard work to create the world we live in now. People didn't wake up and be like, you know what, I'm going to conquer that country. And I'm going to slaughter those people. Going to have genocide there. Like. They, they worked hard at it too. They spent, they did. Yeah. I'll give, that's, if I'm going to give them credit to that, they put a lot of effort into it. Do you know, do you know how much effort it takes to get on a boat, to sail on it for like two months, to get off the boat, then die from malaria, and then, oh, you've got to send another boat because they've all died. That's a lot. They, re- they really wanted Africa, you know. Do you know how many white people died trying to get that continent? I mean, it's incredible. So the least you could do is read the book. <laughs> Like the least, and and so, and the weird thing is, you don't even need to read books now. Like, there's, let me just read Wikipedia. It's quite a lot. Yeah, <laughs> there are people. And yeah, if you're, seriously. If you're dyslexic or, or any like, you can. There's YouTube videos. There's so many yeah, people out there videos. putting out. Um, I mean, your stand-up show. There's so much out there. Just go on Twitter. There are commentators on Twitter who are yeah. tweeting really interesting things. So that's what I would say. Anybody who feels like they want to engage in the debate, but they feel like they're not, you know, it's not. A, a, a culturally comfortable thing for them to do like make it educate yourself and then you know and then, then you can engage in it um, uh, but that that's that's literally the o- only thing because we don't learn how to be people of colour we, we it's not like we're born and it's like oh my god post-colonial sickness like we don't know that stuff we learn it so um, so we affect, this is our this is our privilege in a way this is our head start because we have to learn it because if we're not armed with this information we can't negotiate whatever obstacles or barriers we have to face um, so um, so you know like you just come to the party late but you can still go out and buy a couple of bottles and, and join the party like you know the, like the information is there uh, definitely do you feel I, I did a I did an interview in Denmark and it was this really lovely fun radio interview and they started talking about some TV thing, and I, and they really liked this TV show. And I ended up, you know, saying that it was actually quite fat phobic. And then we started talking about that, and you know, the mood obviously changed and became a bit sad or a bit. Oh yeah, by the way, fat phobia is a thing. We get yelled at in the street. We don't get proper jobs. Blah, blah. And I said, I, I think I tried to make it a joke, but it wasn't funny. And I said, Oh, now I'm the I'm the killjoy again. I'm the mood killer again. Yeah. And because I feel like in so many conversations, that's, you know, I'll, that's what I do. I start talking about feminism. I start yeah. talking about fat phobia. Do you, because like now we've talked about racism for half an hour. And whilst you've seemed to, you know, to like talking about it, do you sometimes feel like that's being put upon you? That Yeah, I'm a billion percent. So that um, what you're describing is basically the, the challenge of people who've been othered. Right. So if you come from any kind of group, whether it's if you're um, fat or if you're from a person of color or if you're gay, or disabled if you've been othered um you can see your oppression so you can watch something and you're watching it differently so i can watch an episode of friends and be like that's hilarious and if you're like fuck you monica you was fine <laughs> you know from the start you know like so but i you know and i and that's you know that's my privilege you know um um I mean, I'm using the word privilege in a slightly wrong way, but that's that's yeah, how it works. So then for you to say, Athena, <laughs> that wasn't funny. I'm like, oh man, can't I, can I enjoy anything anymore? <laughs> you know, like, stop, 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 you know, it's just, let me, let, give me a break, you know, like it's hard enough as it is. So you're totally right. Like anytime you, you bring up something um, that is like the truth, um, then 
people around you who don't want to see the truth or who find the truth like, yes, uh, that truth ruins their moment. They're like, why have you done that? So first of all, you are killjoy. That's exactly the definition of killjoy. I can't enjoy this anymore because you have now pointed out to me that it's oppressive. So that's exactly what you're doing. Um, and, but, but secondly, like, you need to do that because it's the truth, right? So I've always said, because what I do now is start, you know, it's, start, it, you know, it's basically political. If I'm telling the truth, I don't care. You know, um, if I've told the truth, obviously, if I make people laugh, that's the primary thing, primary thing. But as long as I'm telling the truth, I should be able to talk about these topics. I'm not giving I'm not using the this the I'm not using these themes in a way like, oh, I look like this. so I can say this. I'm like, I'm just trying to tell the truth, because what comes out of that in the long term is maybe a TV show that isn't shitty. Does that make sense? Mm, so yeah. what you have to understand is that conversation you're having, the objective isn't to kind of like, um, the objective isn't to contribute to that conversation. Actually, you're contributing to a longer conversation that actually lasts for centuries. So, so it's a bit like The Matrix, which I think is a really cool film. Not the, the second and third ones, they're rubbish. But the first one's really cool. And it's based on, I didn't know this, but apparently it's based on some Greek mythology or something. I've never, I've always meant to find that out and read what it's based on, but I never got around to it. Um, because reading's hard. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, you, you, when you're othered, you don't see the world. You see the ones and zeros that make the world, right? Which really sucks. Because you're, you're going to make... They're in this, in this spaceship. There's no heat in. They're eating this bloody porridge, which I like. Actually, I like porridge. I watched the match. I think that looks great. Like, that's that... You're in a spaceship, guys. You, you just live in a horrible condo. You're eating porridge. It's great. So, um... So yeah, so you're when you do that, you're literally putting yourself in a matrix, and it sucks, and it's isolating, um, and it can be a bit lonely, um, and um, like you, you learn from a young age that rejection feels horrible, doesn't it? Like it does. So that, that's how indoctrination works. You teach children to want to be accepted, and then they grow up to be robots, and that's you know that's why like you know Africans bleach their skin or do crazy things because from a young age they're like if I do this, people like me more. Um, even like you get African families where children have different kind of skin tones. It's not uncommon for children who are lighter skin to be treated better, right? So you just internalise all of this kind of racism. It's not even being done purposely. It's all very, uh, it's all very subtle and discreet and blah blah blah. So you don't like rejection. We take that into our adulthood, right? So you're there, kind of doing this thing that is so counterintuitive, right? But so, but take the short term here because it is like. What, what makes you sleep better at night? The fact that a load of people who are pricks are like, you will kill Joy, or the fact that you said that you did the right thing. And that's what I would say to anyone who's in a situation where they're like, I don't like what I'm witnessing. If I'm meeting, a, like what I said earlier about, so I've never spoken to a white so nothing about race before, which is ridiculous because that means I'm changing myself, really. But I just can't be asked. <laughs> but, but I don't, I, it's not like I'd want to instigate it, but it's like in a situation where it might be natural to talk about it. I might just not talk about it. Yeah. You know? And that's silly because, but that's only me saying, I, that's me going, I don't want to be rejected. That's what you learn as a, as a child. I don't want to be rejected in that moment. Um, and yeah, that's, you have to unlearn that. And there will be moments where you see something and you think, I can't be asked. And that's your right. We can't be asked all the time. Sometimes we just want to sit down yeah. and, um, and drink our coffee in peace. Um, and we'll just let things... I've, I've let things... I've let people say things that are offensive. And I've just... I, you know, at that time for it, I've seen things on Facebook. I just think, oh, I'll ignore it. Um, more often, actually. I, I, if I see something I don't like on Facebook, I ignore it now. Yeah. Because, yeah, because A, I'm not going to change your mind in a Facebook comment. Um, mm. And B, like... People don't know what they're doing. Everything on Facebook, so no thought goes into it. Yeah. You know, so I just... I, how can I argue a, with somebody who's done something with, who, but not put thought into it? That's not... That's like... Um, 
you know, that's just, it's, it's nothing. It's, there's nothing there. There's no substance to it. Um, so, uh, so the, yeah, it's the energy. It's horrible, man, but keep doing it. Like, what's the point in not doing it? Yeah, and I, I, th- I think it's the, the one thing that I sometimes miss is when I see comics who aren't othered in, in a way and they get to talk about, you know, they collect stamps or they get to talk about, you know, they do you get to talk about the weather for half an hour. They get to, you know, because that yeah. thing isn't being brought up all the time. Because I didn't grow up knowing, I mean, I, I knew about the fat thing, but I accepted that fat was just bad. I just accepted that as like a fact. So I didn't feel othered. I just felt wrong, which isn't it really the same thing. I never, like the word woman was never used, a girl. Yeah. I, just, I just never, I was never aware of all that stuff till I became much older so I still feel kind of shocked when people want to talk to me about being a woman because it feels weird yeah so I guess what I'm I think guess what I'm saying is other do you do you ever just feel oh, I wish I could just talk I wish this wasn't a thing so I could just talk about how my passion for growing grapes in my garden <laughs> or really come on <laughs> how boring do you, you want to be that you want to be that guy like hey guys so sometimes I wake up and I press snooze five times like you give a shit like come on guy like do you, come, come on to the spaceship the spaceship's cool I, I know what you mean and to be honest in the future I think I would like to make my stuff more general and I think my stuff is general mm. it's just stuff people haven't thought about before mm. people like you might say I talk about material and it's related to being fat and people's perceptions of fatness right but everyone can relate to that. Everyone goes to a restaurant and looks at the calories in the dessert. The, the idea that the, the biggest myth of othering is that like we're different. No, no. The only thing that happens to people who are othered is that, that we don't get to define ourselves. That's literally what othering is. So I don't get to define who I am or I don't get to define people's expectations of me. People might, people might not... I might be interested in things that people don't expect me to be interested in, but that's based on, that's on them. That's not me. Right. So the idea that you talking about those things isn't every day is bullshit. Of course it's every day, you know, but you're made to feel like it's not every day because you haven't had a chance to define yourself. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I get what you mean. So there, people who grow grapes in their garden, this is not every day. There's grapes on that but, thing behind you, so that's where that came yeah, from. But it's true, like, if, if someone goes on stage and they say, oh my God, my kids just won't go to sleep when they're told, that's, I don't have kids. Do you know what I mean? That's not my life. That's not the life of half people in London. We can't afford to have kids, you know? So, but they, they, they don't have to, they get to define themselves. So they get to say, this is normal. We're normal. You're normal. Do you know what I mean? Like, so... And that is how our voices kind of get suppressed because we're like, I don't want to be that black comic. I don't want to be the fat comic. I don't want to be the gay. No, you want it. Because I swear to God, like, I often go to comedy nights and I think people do, they don't give me a hard time. I know, sometimes I do know they're like, oh, it's Athena talking about black shit again or whatever. (laughs) But if I didn't do it, who is going to do it? And I make a mental note of the topics that people talk about when I go to comedy nights. Just Just to reaffirm that in my head, like, yeah, I'm going to say it because if I don't say it, no one else is. And obviously that's normally because they will only book one minority ethnic comedian on the bill um, and also because minority ethnic experiences are individual. So even if you have two black comics talking about racism, I'll tell you, they will be very two different jokes about racism in the same way you'll see two very different jokes about parenting, you know? Um, so we are within our rights to, to define ourselves. Just because you've defined me doesn't mean I don't get to define myself on stage 
Um, so I I would say at the beginning I found it a bit exhausting. I thought I was failing as a comic because I wasn't finding other parts of my life to be as rich a vein of of material. But now I I've moved on from that and I feel like it's actually work. I'm actually writing better stuff because it's a lot harder to write a black joke than a joke about cats. As much as I love cats, you know. And I think I like cats more than I like being black. No, that's not true. Although I'm fascinated by cats because yeah. I just think just civilizations have always worshipped them. So, uh, oh, the, yeah. the Mayans worshipped them. Uh, the Egyptians were the Egyptians were around for three thousand years. They spent three thousand years worshipping cats. This is incredible, right? And now we love cats like on like Instagram and stuff. And and, and cats and, uh, are bastards. They're absolutely yeah. bastards. I mean, why has has anyone ever worshipped dogs? Because that would make more sense. Um, dogs are, dogs do work. Oh, you know, right. dogs in uh like guard dogs. So in Ghana, if you, you everyone has a dog and they're they, they're security. Um, and dogs do work. You know, they they herd sheep. Wow. <laughs> um, but cats are useless. They literally have no function in society. Yeah. All they do is kill wildlife. And people like people will be like, oh my god, my friend of mine, uh, she she uh, a cat brought a dead squirrel into her house. Jesus. So this is nothing to celebrate right now. This is literally <laughs> nothing to celebrate. But um, but yeah, I like cats. But I, I struggle to write jokes about cats. Um, so I'm just so I don't I don't feel I used yeah at the, at the beginning I did think it was a problem. I thought that I'm a terrible comedian. All I do is moan. No, I don't moan. All I do is educate. Actually, which is which is uh, which is my privilege, and I've earned the right to do that. How did you become? This person, like, have you always? Been, have you always I, mean, I know it's a very broad. Have you always been? I get. I'm going to use the word strong. Have you always been fearless? Maybe. I'm not fearless. Um, it's really interesting that you think that. Um, I don't know. I've always been opinionated. Um, I was very sharp, and I'm still. I'm. I always say that I'm an introvert, believe it or not. But I don't think there are many rewards for introversion. Mm. or shyness I was so I was always very introverted and shy um, but there were no rewards for it you can't be or, you, or there are only rewards for making that you, you know you can be one of those introverted shy comedians lots of white guys going oh my god I'm so introverted and shy so oh, really yeah <laughs> well, in front of those 500 people you must be um, <laughs> but yeah that character or that persona um, is quite good I think what it is is I've um, I've just grown up I mean, it sounds so basic, but like when I was like, I've gone through what every young black girl in a white country goes through. You know, I've done it all. I've had the straight air, and then I've gone, then I've got rid of it. You know, and I've so I've kind of I've gone through all that insecurity now. You know, so I don't I, I don't need to bother with it anymore. And also, I do like you have at some point you have to face up to the education that you have, right? And you have to use it to just be a better person. There's no point in me knowing everything that I know and believe in all the things I believe for me to be like just sitting at home in my bedroom playing video games Do you know, does that make sense like you have to um, how can I explain it imagine like training for the marathon and never running a marathon Do you know, so yeah. it's kind of like if, if, I'm, if I come across as strong or passionate it's only because it's like I've been I've gotten enough education and information out of life to do I have to do something with it you know but nothing makes me happier than like being in my flat alone <laughs> like don't get me wrong nothing makes me happier than not being around people but I create those times for myself so 
uh, to reward myself for being in places like this where I get to talk and use up all... I, I do have a lot of kind of energy, I guess, that needs to come out. So comedy is quite good for that. Um, but I was always, I've always been opinionated. I've always known something's not quite right with the world. Um, do you remember, like, the first time you... Oh, loads. I remember... Um, I talk about this a, a lot. I've, I remember I've got two brothers. And one of my brothers, he had posters... Because in my, I'm like, grew up in the 80s, so I was a teenager, I'm pressing in the 90s, so that was the lad culture, right? And he, one of my brothers, he won't mind me saying this, um, his po he had posters in his room, all of white women. Mm. Like, all, right? Yeah. Because obviously when you rip a poster out of FHM and yeah. all of these, like, nuts, they're, they're white women, right? So I remember thinking to myself, this is, a, this is a guy, he's an African guy, goes to bed every night, and he's in the shrine, to, to white women which is fascinating because you would, if you went to kind of um, you know if you went to like a uh, uh, white South Africans teenager's bedroom you wouldn't see a shrine to black women would you uh, or if you yeah. did you'd be like you're fetishizing black women yeah. right but uh, and I've always I always um, and I didn't know this at the time I didn't know have the language but I obviously I was thinking about, oh my god I'm ugly You know, because that's the only message you get. You're surrounded by... And my older brother, he's, he had, like... He loved movies, so he had, like, movie posters on his wall and stuff. And obviously that was, as a consequence, a mostly white women pasted onto his walls and stuff. And when you... you when you Children don't see race. And this is a, a, a good thing. Um, it's not good for adults, though. You have... Children have an excuse. Adults don't have an excuse. Mm. So don't tell me... Don't get your listeners saying, oh, we should be like children. <laughs> no, we shouldn't. We should understand why they don't see race. Yeah. But we should... But in understanding why they don't, guess what? You fall into my trap. You see race. Um, <laughs> so that's why they did it. They're not, you know, my brothers aren't no idiots. They're young people who that's what they had access to. Mm. So that's what they did. Um, so little things like that um, made me think the world's not fair. But when you're young, you don't think the world's not fair. I'm going to do something about it. You think the world's not fair. I'm going to change myself, you know, mm. to fit into the world, which is kind of how kind of indoctrination works. Like your your family is supposed to make you feel a certain way so when you go out into the world you just replicate what the world wants you to be which is what the kind of the two-parent family is in Europe it's this kind of you have a strong man and a woman and then you, you go out and then you see isn't that interesting have you heard that, that idea before the idea that families um, or the idea with the family is supposed to kind of hypnotize you so then when you come out of it um, you just replicate it so so this is this this is going to sound really weird so you know the idea of like the strong man and like the woman being docile yeah, whatever. Yeah. so that's supposed to represent like countries having like military aggression against other countries does that make sense so the the way countries treat other countries right and and this is basically the way western countries treat other countries is supposed to be replicate the the structures of the family does that does that sound much how am i how am i gonna how much uh, it's it's like um uh so you know like you have like a mother country and you have like the other countries around yeah that. so britain is like the mother country then you have oh, all right. the, yeah, all yeah, the, yeah. the commonwealth is like the children oh. coming home right that is a mentality that you have like you've got like mother country and you've got all these countries that are dependent on it right oh, wow. so you grow up understanding like you've got like these you've got like parents and you've got children i'm talking shit i'm not talking I'm, okay <laughs> you're gonna set this out but i'm gonna send you an article yeah yeah, yeah. where that's kind of explained but okay. i'm gonna read it if you can oh that's amazing but anyway what it comes out of is that's that's something that european families come from but if you're not european you don't come from the structures so then you come out of so then you have a choice between your european your african family or wherever you come from and your european family and that's what assimilation is because then you come out of what your family you come from and then you assimilate into a european structure oh, wow. if that, does that make sense but i think I'll so send, 
I'll send you the article. But it's, a, re- it's a really, um, <laughs> um, I think it's uh, Fanon. So Fanon is like a post, a post-colonial theorist. He's like, he was an academic, and he talked about kind of how people from colonized countries dealt with colonization before and right. afterwards. Um, and that was one of his theories. And I've always thought that there's something in that because if there's one thing that governments like to protect, it's the idea of the family. You have to operate in this way. If you don't operate oh. in this way, then everything's going to fall apart, right? Yeah. Does that make sense? And the reason being is because if you don't operate this way, if you start to see the family's a myth, you're going to start to see the way countries operate in the world is myth- mythological. You'll start to see it all fall apart. That does make sense. This idea that you don't need a mum and a dad, you don't even need a mum, or you don't need a dad, you can have three dads or two mums or, you know, all, all this stuff. Um, even the idea of like communal living so communal living is something that comes from African countries you kind of live in a, a compound or whatever and you uh, all that stuff about being neighbourly and everyone working together and being generally quite equal that over here it's like everyone for themselves that individual get what you can kind of if you're poor it's your fault whereas in the commune if someone's poor the commune has failed that the people the person that is poor right so do you see that commune yeah. is a government situation that can re- that can replicate yeah. in the way a country sees itself in the same yeah. way a family situation here replicates the way the government sees the way society should be and that's kind of falling apart now slowly but surely does I that like. explain i because one of the things i'm really curious about at the moment is when when someone joins a resistance movement or becomes someone who resists how that happens like what, at what point in their lives do they become the, because I remember because you were talking about like the first time you saw that, that the world was unfair like I remember being five and hearing about Rosa Parks yeah. and I remember my like I would tell everyone that I knew about Rosa Parks I thought it was so fascinating and I remember my instinct being I want to be like that I want to be someone who does that yeah. I remember telling other kids and they were like oh cool <laughs> and they were not at all going to go out and do that same thing so what's the difference like how did you because I feel like you would be on the side of the like you'd want to go out and do I mean you are doing something that oh I, mean, then, that, I, won't then, say I think there's two differences you know I mean? personality Okay. Uh-huh. Some people want to, like I said, people fear rejection, right? So yeah, if yeah. you fear rejection, you're going to be like, yeah, that's cool, and you're going to go off and you're going to watch Pokemon, like because yeah. so um, so that personality. And the second thing, right? And this is just something I'm going to have to deal with. Some people just don't give a shit. I mean, some people just don't care. Just people like it, oh, that's people, a painful answer. It's a very painful. Some people just don't care. It doesn't affect me. Doesn't change my life. It's not my fault. Nothing to do with me. I am. Um, and I can relate to that. Okay, so I generally, I don't, I'm, I think materialism is awful. I don't like owning stuff. I've, um, I try and, not, you know, I try and be in a situation where every, everything I own can fit into my car um, or two car loads. <laughs> you, know, nice. you know, I try, and, I try but I love trainers. Uh-huh, and I know where yeah. they come from. You know what I'm yeah, saying? And yeah. I know um, trainers are a really good example of what capitalism does. Capitalism basically just creates markets for shit you don't need. And yeah. that you will never need, and it gives value to things that don't deserve to have that. Nike trainers do not, do not make you run faster. The only thing that makes you run faster are hill runs and 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 porridge and banana in the morning. That's it. And you can't. But porridge is like one pound for a kilo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bananas are so you can't make money out of that. You can't put just do it. You can't put three strikes in a banana, right? Um, 
so I'm I've you know I've absorbed all of that stuff all of my heroes as a child I love sports all of my heroes were draped in in marketing materials you know when you are a sports person you literally become a billboard that's what you sell off you literally sell off parts of your body for a sponsor to put their label on you and that's how you make a living right and they do that so people like me can accept sweatshops and inequality so when someone says I don't care about that human being I'm I've participated in that same way of thinking but in a you know in a in a smaller way I guess Mm. but it's not that far of a reach to be like people don't care about anyone like some people just don't just don't care look at now like it's really interesting what's happening because people in this country are saying, oh, you shouldn't vote Tory because they don't care about people. But people don't vote f- to f- better other people. They vote to better themselves. They always have. Um, so, yeah, that I, don't, I don't know why people join resistance movements, but it's probably because they've got the personality for it and probably because they care. And that's fundamentally it, unfortunately. That's, that's, that sounds like something you could change. I mean, I'm, I, I'm not you know trying to make you change the world I'm just like, if we could change the way that there has always been throughout history throughout recorded history anyway where people have organized themselves into tribes and nations there's always been a dominant a not a dominant race that's any that's a modern invention but a, a dominant people right from you know the egyptians got sacked by the persians who got sacked by and people can correct me on this i don't remember it uh because I haven't read the books there's too many too many books <laughs> but th- yeah and then they got sacked by god knows who the, the, the Romans who got sacked by the Ottomans let me skip forward a few hundred years and the, the, then you had like you know the German em- the, the Prussian Empire was massive before Europe. Europe's only looked like this the past 70 years this is a mm. very modern this is a very modern con- it's not even a continent a part of Asia doesn't, we don't exist Europe doesn't it's tiny um, so we've always been there's always been a dominant um, uh, people uh, throughout history that have prosecuted and persecuted, sorry, and oppressed other people. So that would suggest that there always, there's always going to be people who don't care because it's through people not caring that these things happen. Mm. Um, and the only God, maybe Jeremy Corbyn's going to fix it. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, who who knows? Um, but the only but the only thing you can do is is if you are blessed with the personality to. Um, that equips you with the energy to talk about it and you're equipped with a personality that equips you to not fear rejection is to just use that in whatever way you can whether it's through comedy or writing or um or just hanging out with cooler people like you, you there's enough even though you, you you'll find yourself in the minority amongst people who don't care you you could just find people who do care you know there's loads out there uh, which is, you know, generally what I do. Like, I don't really... It's, there's probably one... There's probably a couple of things people say about me, but one thing they will always say is, Athena doesn't suffer fools. <laughs> and that's probably... Yeah, I'd probably agree with that, actually. <laughs> I can't be bothered. No, I, ha- I have done over the years, but now life's too short. I get bored around people who are um, boring. Yeah. <laughs> Fundamentally. Yeah. Um, so that... But yeah, where does... I don't feel... I feel optimistic, but I don't feel... But that's because my goals and objectives are probably quite modest. You yeah, know? I get what you mean. I don't, I don't think that, you know, I, I don't think that the, there's going to be a new world order that, that changes the economic structures that are, you know, the, one, the same structures that are bleeding um, Africa dry still, the same structures that are uh, causing South American governments to crumble, um, 
you know, I don't, I don't think that's going to change. I don't know what Gaddafi wanted to change it. It did to him. So no one's going to, you know, when you witness that, you don't feel like, you don't feel like the Western world's not going to give this up without a fight, mm. are they? They're not. It's too, it's too much to lose, too much privilege to lose. But is there a way of winning that fight? I mean, but what does success look like? Numbers. What does success look like? I don't know. Exactly. We don't even know what it's like. Capitalism, is, but that's a big, that's a is, big one. This is the biggest problem with the left. This is a big problem with the left in Western countries as it is. We don't know what good looks like. Yeah. We've never known. This is what good looks like for me. Okay. I don't think capitalism is bad. <gasps> I know. Really? Aren't I bad? No, because you need to generate wealth. Okay. Think about the most, mm-hmm. one of the most famous economic books in the world is the. Um, wealth of nations or the wealth of nations right think about that sentence the wealth of nations in order for a nation to spend money on its nation you generate wealth okay and that's what capitalism does that's one half of capitalism the second half is that what i mentioned earlier which is the creation of markets for things people don't need so if you can generate that wealth whilst reducing this market for tat which is then all of a sudden you've kind of got an economic model which generates wealth that you can spend on hospitals and museums and stuff roads or trains but you've also haven't got people running around buying shit okay so that's capitalism capitalism is bad in the wrong hands you know um i yeah i do worry about um the i mean companies like apple and google they generate billions and billions of pounds of wealth they just stick it in the bank account and it just they just watch it grow I and mean, what are they doing with it like it's just incredible right um and i think i feel like fascinating because it's, it's like it's like they work for aliens you know it's, so, <laughs> it's such a weird thing they just create all this like what are you doing it's, it's, why not give it to the, the nation so people can have it and live and like and that isn't socialism because you just have to generate the wealth which comes from business and employment opportunities and things like that um so the destruction of capitalism is, is isn't and it's also not possible mm. so this is the problem we have left we want we want something that's not possible that's i i, I probably i suspect i probably will vote labor in this election but the problem i have with jeremy corbyn and generally dogmatism on both sides is that you kind of need a bit of a, like he wants free university education for everybody that's just great but that what you'll generally get is people going oh i'll go university then so this doesn't help, okay? Because what? what do you mean? What? Because you need to use the university as a stepping stone to something else in your life. Don't go to university for the sake of it, right? So free, right. free education isn't necessarily a solution. I think making education accessible to people who want to have tertiary education is the answer, right? Right, well, I, well okay. Well, we so, have free education in, Den- in Denmark, and not just free, but people get paid to go to university, get like a salary if you attend university. And I think you, I think as a society, you can you can afford to have people who, I mean, because I've been one of them. I've been one of the people who go to universities for the money. Yeah, <laughs> I've, been, I've been in education just for the but money. But look how that's benefited you now, right? Like yeah. that 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 experience. You've yeah. used, you've used that, and the same for me. Like it was free. I didn't get. A, I got a loan, but I didn't have to pay fees. A lot of people forget that Labour introduced school fees, university fees. Oh really? Oh yeah, yeah. Labour had a an introduced university fees in the. Um, it was Tony Blair's second or first or second term and it was means tested so if you were mm. like if you were, yeah, came yeah, from yeah. a low income family like myself you went free if you came from a higher income family I think it was capped at like three grand a year so All Tories right. didn't introduce university fees they increased them and they took out the means testing but that's an All important right. point that is a really important bit because no one had a problem with fees back then yeah. because they were means tested and they yeah. were um, 
uh, and so university yeah, was still access- it was accessible and if you had to pay for it you could pay for it back um, back with your loans I think the point I was making is mm. um, if you send everyone to university at the moment now there's not enough jobs for people oh, who yeah, graduate yeah. okay so you actually have a, you need to have a solution which is A a bit left wing go for free but B a bit right wing generate jobs do you see what I'm saying yeah, so, um, so the idea of you, you can you can take down capitalism if you want, but in five years' time, when all of Jeremy's graduates are coming out of university with all their degrees, they ain't going to get jobs because we live in a society which hasn't generated generated employment opportunities because that's generally uh, a neoconservative kind of, you know, giving businesses money to build a business and then employ people. You could you could put employment in the public sector if you wanted. But I've, you know, I've had a lot of jobs in the public sector and it's not this utopian haven of talent that it's made out to be. I mean, it really isn't, which annoys me. I hate that narrative of public good, private bad. Most of the services you get from the public sector are actually provided by private sector people. The, the public sector is a client. Imagine, so we, everyone is like, you know, has this idea of things being really straight down the middle, left and right. It's not, it's super complicated. Um, so capitalism is going to be part of the solution because you're always going to need money to spend on stuff. But it's just... I don't like the word responsible capitalism because it's stupid. It's a weird concept, but I just sort of think, like I said, get within the markets for shit. Stop releasing new iPhones. Isn't it amazing? Someone puts out something and says, this is the best thing ever. It's amazing. Oh my, it's going to change your life. And then two years later, oh, we made a mistake. This is the best thing ever. Two years later. So that is, that is ridiculous. I would love, I'd love for that not to exist. I'd love for us to stop being thirsty for this kind of shit. I hate that. It's a, it's a big deal in um, in developing countries. You go to developing countries now, like China is just filling these countries with shit. You go to the supermarkets and it's full of shit. Cheap kettles that break after like one boil. Just tat. Crap. So yeah, that capitalism is good and bad for those reasons. I have, I, I think, about a million questions, but also re- I, and that, I have so many notes from stuff that I wrote down in South Africa that I wanted to talk to you about, but I okay. feel like I, I'll just have to invite you back because we, we've talked for so long. But this has been so good. I want to, before I ask the last question, uh, how do you feel about Edinburgh? You're doing... Yeah, so show. my show... Um, yeah, my sh- I'm glad you asked. I was like, <laughs> when are we going to get to Edinburgh, Sophie? Um, so my show's called KMT, um, and it's actually about a few of the things that I mentioned today, which is cool, and how do I feel about it I feel excited but also like I feel like we all feel the same nervous you know um I feel um I feel like oh my god it's just the energy it takes to perform every day um are you doing every single day I've got a day off and I'm not doing the last day um I did I remember I did something on the last day of last year it was a recording and I listened back to it and my voice is like five octaves lower like I'm so tired I'm just I I was like this and I just thought this is that's really bad it sounds like I'm like a 40 a day smoker because I was so tired um so and yeah I'm excited about it but also nervous and I'm just like constantly I'm on like version 11 of the show at the moment um so um yeah I think it'll be fun I I think there was when when it was raining a few days ago I think took a deep breath and I could it was like smelling Edinburgh and it was the first time I thought it's gonna happen soon so I was like Edinburgh like, sort of like beery rainy yeah. kind of smell I'm I'm this is the most effort I've I mean I only did my first solo show last year I did like 45 minutes last year so that was my first taste of spamming everyone with my face and mm. just being like an individual that's going up and trying to make something of themselves 
Um, so I'm excited about being, I mean, this is the life I want for myself, mm. you know? So I'm excited about just finally kind of taking it to a place where it's like, I didn't even imagine I'd be here. And that sounds crazy because I never had a long-term plan with comedy. I just wanted mm. to be good at it, Same. but I didn't know what that would mean career-wise. And now I, and you learn as you go through it. Oh, okay, you write a show. Oh, okay, mm. and, then you, and then you do it. So I'm excited to be in this place, but I'm also like, I don't even know if I belong in it. Does that make sense? Don't you feel, do you ever feel fraudulent? Yeah, of course. I feel fraudulent all the time. Of course. Yeah. I feel like, um, you know, like, am I just pretending to be a comedian? You know and what? just fluking. The, uh, and this is not, uh, it sounds like a really privileged solution. The second people started coming back to my shows. So the, the second people said, I saw you at wherever and now I'm here again. That mm. was, that. every time that happens, I feel, oh, okay. This is probably all right. It reassures you. Yeah. Yeah. But then you keep you keep creating. I think every single time I create a show, I'll have this feeling of, well, now I'm going to lose 95% of it because they probably (laughs) just, they were probably just there because of that poster or that title. And now they're not in it anymore. I had that in Brighton, actually. So people, I did Brighton last year and and I did it again this year. And I was like, like, fuck, I wrote some new stuff. Um, (laughs) Like, fuck for that. Um, but it didn't reassure me because <laughs> I just felt like it still felt like oh yeah but you probably don't know what, what comedy is you know <laughs> you probably just like you know you probably just come to Brighton for the ice cream and just pop in to watch a show like you know I think I think maybe it's I don't think it's unhealthy to feel this way no I don't um, think so either no 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 but I but I carry, I'm carrying that with me throughout but I'm just it's in the same way I, I, I know introversion and shyness doesn't reward me saying being feeling like reticent about what I'm doing is not going to reward me so I like a good really a really nice saying is fake it till you make it Mm. I do I do it a lot in my professional life and I'm doing well I guess my comedy life is my professional life now but in all the worlds I occupy I say yes to everything fake it till you make it um because if you know there's a reward in risk because even if you fail it's good that you put yourself in that position you know and um but yeah that that feeling of not belong that feeling of not belonging and just getting what like oh my it's like emperor's new clothes like mm. oh my god it's like am i naked in, 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 imposter yeah. syndrome is that how yeah called? imposter syndrome yeah. yeah that's exactly what it is um so that feeling is I, i've it never felt it as strongly as i have right around this time but that's probably because it's it's like the, the first hour which obviously it's comedians is like for comedians it's like you know your first hour oh my god um your debut I know oh god yeah and you just think because oh. <laughs> it's supposed to be significant right um, but it's yeah, not significant it's supposed to say it's everything like, about the rest of your life forever like it's it's been put up to being this huge thing that's not it I just, isn't necessarily what I say to myself is like just just be funny Athena just be you and be funny and then be do that for an hour every day and I'm, I'm scared you're, you're, you're accidentally answering the last question. I'll ask you the last question, right. which is the same every time, and I'm, I still haven't phrased it. So when a baby is born, uh, it's scared because there's light and sounds everywhere. Mm. And then I did, uh, my last uh, interview, the comedian, Ross Noble, told me that apparently p- uh, babies also scream because it's the first time they get air into their lungs. But oh, let's go okay. with, yeah, this doesn't <laughs> really work for my, my analogy. <laughs> so let's just pretend that didn't happen. So... Um, so the baby's scared. So you're in the delivery room, you're holding little Athena, mm. and she's screaming and crying because it's all very scary. And you know that there are going to be times 
in the next, like up until the point we're at in your life now, there's going to be a lot of those situations, but it won't be light or sounds, it'll be something else. And you get to say something to you as a baby that might calm you down a bit, or you could say whatever, you can't change what's going to happen, but you can maybe say something to the scared little creature. What would you say? <laughs> I listen to your podcast, so I know this question's coming, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to say. But just little Athena, just do you. Like, it's like, yeah, just whatever. It's all, it's all good. Just do you. Don't try not to cause harm whilst you're doing you. Because you don't want to tell some babies to just do you and they're bastards. But, <laughs> but um, like, yeah, just, just do you. If, as long as what you're doing doesn't cause harm, which is important, just do you. Because you spend, like I said, children are afraid of rejection. That's why we do the things we do. And that's why we conform. And in my efforts to conform, like, it was just, it was, you know, just made me more and more unhappy. So, yeah, I tell that baby, it's all good. Don't worry about them posters. <laughs> Don't worry about them girls. They're going to, them same girls are going to be injecting things into their lips and their asses to look more like you at some point. So just do you. Don't worry about all that. Yeah, that's what I say to her. What? And uh, also hang out for 20 minutes because you're going to get another surprise. I've got a twin brother. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. that's nice. Because I'm sure I screamed even more when that happened. Like, who the <laughs> fuck are you? <laughs> get a bag in there. Yeah. What, where's, uh, what, what time and where's your show? In oh, um, KMT. It's on at 10 to 5. Oh, or nice. 10 to 6. Okay. So, well, I want intelligent people to contact my show, so I won't give you all the information. Just, you're going to have to Google KMT to get all of it, but I do know it's in um, Underbelly MedQuad. Oh, because it's ticketed. Yeah, it's ticketed. Oh, I'm yeah. going to get my tickets. Um, I'm gonna, are you? I'm gonna oh, up, lovely. I'm going to put up, um, I don't know how many of my listeners go to Edinburgh, but I'll, I'll put up like which date I'm going and I'll try and get Oh, that means all go together, me and my listeners. Oh, yeah, but all, all 50,000 of them, please. <laughs> yeah. oh, please just, just pick up all your tickets quick. Um, yeah, but it's called, it's called KMT. Um, but yeah, either 10 to 5 or 10 to 6. I'll, I'll, have done, I'll do my research for. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to uh, Twitter? Uh, yeah, it's just Twitter. I use Twitter and Instagram, not Snapchat, because I'm mature. <laughs> I'm, grown, I'm grown up um, although I'm tempted but I can't I keep trying it and I just I don't understand also, it also Instagram stories has now overcome Snapchat has it? Snapchat's dying oh yeah, okay because good. Instagram stories added filters so. <laughs> oh okay yeah oh awesome okay so yeah Instagram uh, Twitter Facebook page all the usual stuff is it just Athena Cableno? just my name yeah cool. nothing nothing jazzy anything else you want? just thank you for having me yeah but not, not no talk about race let's talk about something no, else we will not, yeah, yeah absolutely not uh, awesome. <laughs> thing is, oh uh, how, how do you like the weather nice cool. it's a bit hazy outside it is isn't i it? prefer blue sky to kind of cloudy sky but it's hazy cool. but i don't i like humidity so yeah i like the weather i'm happy we finally got an answer to that <laughs> thank you so much for doing this no worries That was Athena. I hope you enjoyed her. Of course you did. Uh, I want to thank you all for being amazing listeners. I know that this is the point where most of you will um, turn off uh, turn off the podcast. That makes sense. That's fine. But those of you who are left, who are still listening, I love you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being... This is the best thing I've ever created. This is... Uh, I mean, apart from my wonderful shows, book them. Uh, book tickets for the shows and so on. Uh, and I want to... I, I have a... <laughs> So this is a thing that I do. First of all, there are, um, there are, uh, I'm such an idiot. I just checked Facebook while I was talking. I mean, is that, 
is that bad? That That's a bad sign, isn't it? I was like, oh, someone wrote me, and it was Adam Hess. And I was like, oh, what did Adam Hess write? And, oh, hold on, you're doing a podcast. Well done. I'm sorry. I was like, oh, I'm so grateful for you. Not grateful enough that I'm not going to see what my friend posted. I'm sorry. I mean, I could have edited that out, but as you know, I don't really edit this, so <laughs> I want it to be genuine. So uh, that's my mistake. What's yours? So, uh Here's what I want to say. You can you can go to Made of Human Podcast and buy T-shirts now. And you are doing it. And you are tweeting me and Instagramming, uh, sending the, the photos of that on Instagram. And I, it's so exciting. And I can't believe that my face is on a T-shirt. That is fucking unbelievable. But thank you. Thank you for doing that. And thank you to those of you who... You can support this podcast on Patreon. Now, I spend a lot of time doing this. Um, I It takes hours uh, editing it and of course it's all you know it's you know doing the interviews and, and booking the interviews and um emailing back and forth and then editing them and i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of work that goes into it and and money as well in terms of websites and equipment and stuff like that so so it really 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 means a lot that you choose to donate and you can donate a, a one-off on made of human podcast you can just send like a one-off uh, via uh, paypal or you can support via Patreon. Now, Patreon is this amazing site where you go and then you um, decide what amount of dollars, because it's American, what amount of dollars you want to pay per uh, per episode. And it's really nice. And it does it all automatically. You don't even have to do anything. You just leave it and then you, you're just supporting your favorite podcast. It's such a lovely thing. Now, if you support with more than $5 per episode, you get a shout out. <laughs> And you, which is, it was meant to be a really nice thing, but now it's, you get to hear me slaughter your name. So, uh, I, this, uh, this week, I want to thank the amazing people who've supported this podcast via Patreon. I would like to thank Kathy Draxelbauer, Robert Knowles, Eve Winkrith, Jesus, Victoria Greer, Marnie Biles, Phil Vapolis, Olivia Hove, so Zoe Cumberland, Joe C., Karen Threthway. Threathway? Threathway? Threathway. Wow. Russell Hughes, Ida Sugar Larsen, Lucy, Inga Ellingsen, Imogen Weirs Weirsen, Maddie Searle, Just Justine Justine Hughes. And thank you to Justine for uh, I've noticed she's edited out her middle name, which I could not pronounce for weeks and weeks. Uh, Andrea Papillon, Caleb Melchoir. And then Dr. Bodocycle. I just want to, uh, you can basically choose uh, what name pops up here. And that is something that Dr. Bodocycle has done. Jessica Stuhlfire, Meg, Jane Young, Emma Chan, Sylvia Novak, Georgia Brown, Kathy Beveridge. It must be Beveridge. Beveridge. Maybe it's Kathy Beveridge. Anyways, Emma Walton, Andy Walker, Geraldo, Ashlyn Cronin, Claire, Danny Beckett, Fiona Richardson, Claire Lamb, Rachel, Grace Suter, Cat Pillar, Harold Van Dyke, Immy, Eleanor, Helen Galliard, Sarah Ferreira, Eikerseth, Siri Dunphy, and Daniel Reifer. <laughs> That's the name. So <laughs> thank you so much for uh, supporting. It genuinely means uh, the whole world. 
Uh, so thank you. Thank you very much. Go get t-shirts. Go give us a five-star rating. We're on Facebook, Made of Human Podcast, on Twitter, Podmo, P-O-D-M-O-H. And the five-star review on iTunes genuinely means a lot. So that would be uh, just incredible. And then I want to thank uh, Bailey Leonard for doing my wonderful jingle. There's a full version on the on the Facebook page if you want to hear the whole full version of the jingle. I want to thank Linda Brinkhouse for my logo and Phoenix Artist Club and Peter Dunbar for letting me record episodes there. Thank you for letting me talk at you. I will speak to you next Wednesday. Bye. <laughs>